Hey, just a quick note before we get into the episode. Uh, the audio is a little scuffed in this one. I'm not sure why. I also sound like I'm asleep in the beginning. I probably sound like I'm asleep right now, honestly. But we weren't having a great day. Anyways, both the audio and my sleepiness get better later on in the episode, so I just wanted to give a heads up. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Straw Hat Social Club, a One Piece recap show. I'm Todd, the One Piece expert, which is a made-up title that just means I've read the manga. And as always, I'm joined by someone who's completely new to One Piece, uh, the lovely and talented Becca. How are you doing? I'm I'm better now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had to get there. Uh, we've we've been off for a little while because we've both been sick, and it just feels like something keeps coming up. Yeah. But uh. But luckily, you know, we're kind of recording a bunch of stuff in advance, so it doesn't really matter right now. We'll have to work on getting on a better rhythm, but yeah. it is what it is. Um, so today, you're going to join us as we travel to Seer Village, which covers episodes 9 through 18 of the One Piece anime and chapters 22 through 41 of the manga. Uh, I did want to say I am excited to not just talk about this again, but to get back to watching the series since we've been off for a little while. Because um, I've definitely noticed making the podcast, it's made me appreciate the series more since I have to dive into the details of the story and remember the character names and all that stuff. Uh, it just, yeah, it makes me appreciate and understand all the little details more. Yeah, I, nice. I was thinking about it this morning, how obviously I was not having a good morning, but all I yeah. wanted to do was just sit and watch One Piece and just relax. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely picked up uh, the wrong order of Panera. Yes. Bring that up again. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say there. Just one of those mornings. Yeah. That's okay. Um, so one thing I did want to talk about with... Uh, you know, I'm rereading sections of the manga as we get to them. And they give, like, little bits of trivia at the end of some of the chapters. And in this section, they mention that when Oda was a child, he was initially inspired by a series called Little Viking Vic, which is a series about a Viking boy who wasn't very strong, but he was very clever. And this sparked an interest in pirates for him when he was growing up. Um and I thought that was interesting because you can see with Luffy, you know, he is very strong, but he is also someone who learns very quickly and is very clever, even though he comes off as being kind of stupid yeah. sometimes. Yeah, he thinks on his feet. Yeah, and uh, it did make me interested in maybe checking that out. I think it's like a kid show, but... Can I still check it out? Yeah, it might be interesting. We we did check out uh, Red Riding Hood Cha-Cha a little yes. while ago, which is <laughs> like a kid show I liked when I was growing up and... I don't know. There's something like kind of cozy because it's all very like low stakes. Yeah, it's all very know? lighthearted. Yeah, it's nice to just chill out and watch that stuff sometimes. And I mean, One Piece itself is, you know, it, it's it's not exactly a kid show, but it appeals to kids, and you can see it has yeah. that same kind of cozy feeling to it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't say when I'm watching Red Riding Hood Cha Cha that I'm worried that I'm going to cry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a lot of deeply emotional things happening in One Piece. <laughs> that is true. Um, but uh, yeah, I think right now the thing that's interesting about these early arcs in the series is that this is still, we're kind of in the introduction. This whole thing's called the East Blue Saga before we get to the Grand Line. And each arc, it feels like they're gaining something, you know, whether it's a crew member or something else, they're preparing to hit the Grand Line, which is kind of where the main part of the series takes place. And uh, I don't think that this arc's going to be any different. I think we have two big things that we gain in this arc, which we'll get to. I mean, did you have any kind of expectations or predictions going into this one? I know it's still, we're kind of early in the series. Um, no, I really didn't. I mean, I can remember when we first started watching this before it was like for the podcast. Yeah. I just literally was in it to watch it. Like I wasn't, I was satisfied with whatever had happened and I was ready for whatever was about to come next. Yeah, Just along for the ride, huh? Yeah. With me dragging you along. <laughs> yeah. You only dragged me along for one episode. I know. I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it because this is a longer arc. Definitely going to be testing some things going forward because the arcs just keep getting longer. And some of the later ones are very long. So I'm going to probably have to revise the structure a little bit as we go. But Yeah. Um, also, <clears throat> we I, of course, if you're at this episode now, you know that we use sound bites. And uh, yeah. we're 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 testing out with sound bites because the English dub, which you know we would think you know if you need to translate something or have something, it'd be easier recognizable in English because it's an English podcast. Yeah. Um, but it's not. The dub is like way off, and it like doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think it's an issue they run into a lot of times with anime because. The translation, aside from just having to be, you know, more understandable to, I guess, a wider audience in a different country, they also try to make it match, like, the lip flaps and all that stuff. Lip flaps. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it leads to some weird translation issues. When we were trying to pull sound bites, aside from just noticing that the voice acting... The voice, first of all, uh, American... <laughs> voice actors just should not be used i don't know i'm not like, i don't want to be that i that don't cruel. know i think it's more that we're just used to hearing the japanese voices I mean, you know you're probably right just because at this point it's a familiarity yeah familiarity um and it's hard when yeah. it feels like i'm watching a different show well the bigger issue is like the translation it well, just yeah it, it's so off that, uh, it's so off that the voice actors are saying something else, and then the subtitles yeah. are saying something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, so I think we're going to probably scale back on that, try to just keep the the Japanese audio for sound bites whenever we can, which means not having as many, like, scenes and dialogue yeah. bits, you know? But why don't we get into it? Because, like I said, this is a longer arc, and we got a lot to cover. So, Syrupit Village arc begins with uh, Luffy, Zoro, and Nami arguing over what to do next. Luffy is ready to go straight to the Grand Line, of course, but Nami argues that it would be reckless to head there now. 
Um, the Grand Line is supposed to be the most dangerous place in the world, full of pirates looking for the One Piece, and they still just have tiny crew with a tiny little boat. So I think cooler heads prevail with Nami. And uh, I don't know, what are, your, what are your thoughts about the Grand Line at this point? Like, did you have any kind of expectations? Because it, it sounds big and daunting, but I know at this point it's still kind of mysterious. Yeah, I think at this point I have already started to take into consideration that this is a very large series. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, it's going to take us forever to get to the Grand Line. Like, it's just, yeah. like, I'm thinking episodes and episodes and episodes into the future because it sounds like such a big thing. And that's where my head is at right now. It's that like, makes sense. I think uh, for what it's worth, without spoiling things, this this is a series that, like, the Grand Line's kind of where the main story kicks off. Like, right now we're kind of in the, the setup and the prologue. Um, and we're still we're still getting there. But most of the series does take place in the Grand Line, which is where, like, the main adventure is. Um, so after accepting that they still have preparations to make, they head for the nearby Seer Village on the Gecko Islands, where Luffy is hoping to find a cook or a musician, because of course he is. Um, of course he's looking for a cook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course that would be his priority. But... It is interesting because they, they tackle this in the series that um, every pirate crew has different roles that have to be filled. So far we have you know, a captain, a swordsman, and a navigator, which are all pretty crucial, but we're obviously still kind of light. So, I mean, what, uh, what roles do you think need to get filled before they can really head to the Grand Line? I don't know if I ever really thought about it too much. Yeah. I don't know a lot about pirate well, if you, lore. If you were Captain Becca, <laughs> getting ready to go on an adventure, and you have you're the captain, you got a a badass swordsman, and you have a real clever navigator. What else would you need before going on an adventure? Um. Well, I'm going to need someone to make me laugh because it's a long journey. True. So. I don't know. Somebody Would that be funny. like a musician. Yeah, maybe. There you go, entertainer. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Well, I mean, personally, I would probably want someone who knows skincare very well. Okay, not <laughs> sure how crucial that is, but I guess you're Do you want exposed to, burn to, to the Chris? sun all day. Yeah. Okay. So, haven't mentioned food yet. I see the priorities. I mean, are you surprised the, by guess, the conversation yeah. we had okay. this morning? Sure. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, this arc, we're going to find our next crewmate. And you can see, I, I don't think you've mentioned the role that he fills, so I guess no, it's not a priority. No, I haven't. But also out of spoilers, I guess. But I mean, at this point, if you're listening to this episode, you've hopefully already watched this. That's true. Um, but anyway, meanwhile, in Sierra Village, we're introduced to the character who's teased at the end of the Orangetown arc. Uh, he's running through the village shouting about pirates attacking, but it's quickly revealed that this is all a lie, and the villagers aren't too happy about this daily routine. Uh, we are introduced to the Usopp Pirates, which includes Pepper and Carrot, and led by Usopp, a young man with a distinct long nose. Um, so what were you thinking during this, this introduction scene about Usopp? What was your first impression? I mean, he seems very, like, grandiose and silly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting scene. Uh, I, I did like how his uh, his little followers have like hats that represent like their names, like Pepper and Carrot have like little vegetable hats. You know what? I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, it's, I did it's not, pretty cute. Yeah, I didn't notice that and now I love it. His yeah, His character designs tend to be really funny and interesting like that. Shortly after Onion, the last member of this crew with his little onion hat, uh, he runs through the village also shouting about pirates and reveals to Usopp that there are some actual real pirates who landed on the island shore. Um, And these pirates bear the Jolly Roger of none other than Buggy the Clown. So this probably sounds familiar after uh, what happened at the end of the last arc. But Usopp responds to this by saying that he has, I'll die if I don't eat Snaxiosis. Uh, but he quickly changes his mind after learning there are only three pirates over there. So we already get a little introduction to maybe he's uh, a little cowardly. You know, that's kind of a core part of his, his personality. And he seems to have this ritual of running through, shouting that there are pirates attacking, and everyone kind of just knows it's Which... not true is really annoying <laughs> yeah i think that it is kind of an annoying first impression but uh like that's got to be exhausting like every morning waking up and somebody's screaming <laughs> yeah we do get a little more backstory to that later but oh, yeah. it's not the best first impression um but anyway so they head to the shore where usopp and his crew put on a show and warn the Straw Hats that he has 80 million subordinates ready to attack them, which uh, I think Luffy is, like, very impressed and surprised, but uh, Nami sees through it immediately, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, these characters are already really fleshed out. Like, yeah. it's I think what I like about it at this point is, like, when a response happens or a reaction, I'm like, oh, yeah, that fits that character. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they they do have like these kind of uh, archetypes they all fall into, but I think it's so well written. It's still like fun and interesting. But as a last resort, Usopp he pulls out his slingshot, claiming that he's a sharpshooter and that's his pistol, which leads to this uh, pretty fun scene where Luffy and Zoro they immediately change their attitudes and get really serious. And Luffy repeats a line that was said by Shanks when confronting the bandits who were attacking Luffy as a child. He says, now that you've drawn your pistol, put your life on the line. So I thought this was, uh, it was interesting showing the the lasting impact that Shanks had on Luffy, you know. And this idea that, uh, you know, if you're going to be a pirate, you got to be willing to put your life on the line at any moment, even though they're kind of lighthearted and you know, partying all the time. When it comes down to it, Luffy gets very serious. And this introduces Usopp's role as a sharpshooter, but I thought it's it's interesting that he uses a slingshot instead of a pistol. You know, that's an interesting little character detail. Yeah, I think, again, it's, like, refreshing. Like, even though Mm -hmm. there there are depictions of guns um, in this series already, but not to the point, like, everyone has a gun. and Like, it's not overloaded yeah that would probably be pretty boring i thought that was a, and and being a slingshot you know it it opens up different avenues of like you know the different types of ammunition he can use and stuff so it lets it still be more 
creative and lighthearted than just someone with a gun. No, I was thinking the same thing. It's very creative, <clears throat> and it's I don't know. It's cute. Yeah. <laughs> so after a tense moment, Luffy reveals that he knew Usopp's father, uh, and they share a striking resemblance. So we get a flashback where we meet Yasop, who's an extremely talented sharpshooter who is part of Shanks' crew, and Usopp is overjoyed to learn that his father is part of a famous pirate crew, uh, risking it all on the sea, and they wind up hitting it off over this. So this really, uh, it, it points to this this idea, like the thing that, that initially inspired Luffy to become a pirate, which is, you know, freedom. Because he grew up on this tiny little island, and to him, his his draw to being a pirate, the whole excitement about it is uh, the sense of freedom that you can go out and explore like anywhere around the world. And I think that's that's an interesting part of his character because I think most people, when you hear pirate, you think like criminal, you know, you think they're dangerous and and scary. But to someone like Luffy and to the type of people that he recruits on his crew, it's more about the freedom and the adventure element of it, you know? So I think they're, it's, it's easy to see how him and Usopp kind of connect over this because uh, Usopp seems to have that same kind of uh, motivation. I think it's also interesting to see that now he's meeting somebody that he heard about so much when he was a child yeah. from someone else, of course. I think that that's interesting. Yep. That their paths cross again. In a way. Oh, yeah. And it is funny that he just immediately sees the resemblance because they both have a big nose. Yeah. <laughs> <And> that's like <laughs> the signature thing about Usopp. So afterwards, Straw Hats, they head into town for some food while Usopp heads to a nearby manor to see Kaya. He's a young girl living by herself at a manor. Um, and we learned that her parents were rich, but they passed away a few years ago, which left her in the care of her butler's. Clahador and Mary. And Usopp, he regularly visits her and tells her stories outside of her window, even though her butler, Clahador, refuses to entertain him. So what were your first impressions when you were introduced to Kaya and Clahador and the whole situation of Usopp, who's like known as this liar, but he's using that to like create these stories to keep her entertained while she's home by herself? Um... I thought that it was sweet. Like, mm -hmm. she's obviously bedridden or something. Like, something is wrong where she cannot come outside. And even though Usopp is telling these crazy outlandish stories, she seems to, like, know. So yeah. it's not like he's just, like, blatantly lying to her. It's like she's she's just, she knows this is entertainment. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought that that was sweet. But Clahador... Bahadori? I don't know how, don't how to know, say man. that. Um, he was name. creepy. I immediately was like oh, creeped yeah. out by him. And the way he like pushes his glasses up with his, <laughs> the palm of his hand. Is, yeah. I don't know why. It's just like creepy. So good character design on that one. <laughs> I do remember reading it for the first time. It's like they kept pointing to that little, that little motion of moving his glasses up. And it was just so weird. That it was like, why do they keep drawing focus to this like over and over again? Well, I think I've noticed is like, not only are all of the 
character styles like different for each design but like he delves deep into like personality Mm -hmm. and like making sure like oh yeah they have like their own tagline and like the way they move and i i think that attention to detail is what makes it so interesting oh yeah they're definitely very distinct um but shortly after the straw hats they're told about the whole situation by usopp's crew so they head to the manor to ask for a ship because they find out she has all this money. And, of course, immediately Luffy's like, oh, we can go get a ship there, you know, because that's just how he thinks. Um, but this is when we also understand that Luffy, he's actually impressed by Usopp because he just he thinks it's great that he goes there just to make her laugh. You know, I think that that that's a small detail early on that gives you an idea of Usopp's character, mm-hmm. you know. Clahador, he, uh, we realize he doesn't really share this sentiment. So after he catches Usopp talking to Kaya, he calls Usopp the son of a filthy pirate, and Usopp hits him in the face in response. Um, Usopp says that he's proud of his father, a brave warrior of the sea, but um, Kaya, she has to step in and stop things from escalating any further, uh, which causes Usopp to just run off. And the detail that I liked about this is how um, the kids are all angry. You know, the Clahador confronted Usopp this way and treated him so badly. And you see Luffy just standing there with the kids, like, all pissed off <laughs> with the rest of them, you know. But afterwards, when Kaya and Clahador are alone together, Clahador asks Kaya for forgiveness for taking things too far. And he reveals that he's just looking out for her because her parents took him in three years ago. And he feels like he owes his life to them. So what did you think? Did you buy that story? I I think I wanted to believe it, but there's always something yeah. in the back of my mind that's like, this. Uh, he has other motivations. Like, it's you yeah. can tell. Yeah, it seems kind of heartfelt, but at the same time, like, he's just such a sketchy-looking dude that... Uh, I think it's easy to think, like, there's something more going on there. Well, yeah, I mean, also, why would you not want a little girl to have friends? Like, that's also yeah. weird to me. Well, like, I think they try to explain it as he's just overprotective, you know, because yeah. he feels this duty to them. I think it's, it is uh, interesting because it feels believable, but it also feels like maybe there's something we're not getting told here. No, I think it's completely believable in the sense that, Something else is happening. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. Sure. But meanwhile, Onion, you know, one of Usopp's little pirate kids, he tells the other Usopp pirates that he saw a terrifying backwards walking man going through the village. And we are introduced to Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Django. Uh, as he moonwalks right up to them and the kids call him weird and he responds by using hypnosis to put them to sleep <laughs> so I, very, I don't even want to get into oh it's I don't. such a weird <laughs> character i didn't even think about that i don't want to think about that no. that was the first thing i thought when we saw this i think i asked him like is that supposed to be michael jackson <sighs> so weird. it's yeah. so weird i don't i don't want to know if oda had an inkling of something i don't want to know. <sighs> know i just don't want to know he he is a really funny character design though. He, it's a cool character design. It is. Yeah. It's just it's 
It's creepy. And the fact that when we first see him, he's literally just moonwalking. Yeah. So it's like not even hiding the inspiration. I did also think it's funny, though, how every time that he does his hypnosis, it affects him, too. Yeah. So when he puts the kids to sleep, he also puts himself to sleep. Yeah, it's silly. It's a funny detail. Um, but around this time, Luffy, he finds Usopp sulking on a cliff overlooking the shore after being run off by Clahador. And they wind up connecting even further over the thrill and adventure of being a pirate, you know, like we mentioned. And uh, unfortunately, the, the conversation is cut short when they notice that Clahador and Django uh, are meeting on the beach beneath them. And they're talking about the rich girl assassination plan, <laughs> which I guess couldn't be any more obvious, but... It couldn't be a little more clever with the name. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not on Oda's part, just it's it's to think of the characters. Being that stupid is funny. But it's revealed that Clahador, he's actually a pirate captain, and he created a plan three years ago to get rich and live peacefully, which involves having his pirates raid the village, and in the chaos, Kaya will be killed in an accident after being hypnotized to write a will, leaving all her riches to... Clahador. So I guess our initial impressions of him not being such a good guy are not only are they true, it's kind of taken to the like hundredth degree because uh, that's about as evil as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> you know, taking advantage of the situation for three years, um, acting like this protective um, butler for this young girl when your plan is to just get her killed and steal all her fortune. Yeah, that's a wild concept. Yeah, it it does show like the two sides of the pirate coin, you know, that on one side you have the pirates who just only care about themselves and enriching themselves and everything. And then you have people like Luffy who are in it for the adventure. And you can see how the two sides would obviously clash with one another, which uh, is kind of what the series winds up being all about. But Luffy, overhearing this, he reacts the way that Luffy always would react by just standing up and yelling, hey, you guys, don't attack that girl. Bad guys! You better stay away from that girl! (laughs) Which is just great. But Django, he responds by using his hypnosis, which causes Luffy to fall headfirst off the cliff. Um, And Usopp, he resists the hypnosis by hiding, thinking Django is about to attack them, and he's able to run off and warn the village. But Clahador, interestingly, he lets him go because he knows that nothing he does can interfere with the plan. And unfortunately, he's correct because the villagers just assume that he's lying like usual. So it shows like that whole introduction of him running through the village, shouting about pirates is kind of setting this up that it's the classic like boy who, who cried wolf. That now when there's actual danger, they aren't listening to anything he's saying. But I thought it was it was interesting in that scene because we see the nature of Luffy versus Usopp that Luffy just stands there and gets hypnotized and falls <laughs> off the cliff because that's just how he is. He stands up to everything. And Usopp, who's very cowardly, winds up actually getting out of there because he hides thinking like, oh, an attack's coming. Yeah, what did you think about, you know, the sad nature of this whole boy who cried wolf thing that Usopp kind of set things up for himself here? I mean, I'm. It makes sense, and it's sad, but at the same time, it teaches a lesson. Yeah, true. So I, I don't know. But um, 
Back at the manor, though, we see that Kaya, she receives a box from her other butler, Mary, which is revealed to contain a pair of glasses that she intends to give to Clahador as a gift. So we've, we already mentioned that his habit of pushing his glasses up on his face, and she says that, I think she mentions that she hopes these glasses will like stay on his face more so he won't have to keep pushing them up. So right. it brings more attention to that habit. Yeah, and I also, I think it's so sweet of her to notice that tiny detail yeah, of him. Yeah, she's very and then, thoughtful. Yeah, and it's just so sad that yeah. he's trying to kill her. <laughs> yeah, it is sad, like, since we've just had that revelation about his true nature. But while searching for Usopp, his crew, along with Nami and Zoro, they find Luffy, who's just sleeping peacefully after falling from the cliff, which is kind of funny because they, when they see him fall off the cliff, they're like, oh, he's dead. You know, <laughs> he just falls head first. Yeah. But uh, meanwhile, Luffy's just kind of sleeping. And uh, and Nami, I think, just gets mad and, like, kicks him and wakes him up. She's like, what are you doing just sleeping down here? Yeah, something I think I've noticed is it looks like Luffy gets his energy from eating and sleeping. Yeah, pretty which, much. Which, I mean, is how humans work, but it just seems, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like a super to an human. extreme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when he wakes up, he's able to tell them about Clahador's evil plan, so they head out to look for him. Um, but Usopp, he's busy trying to warn Kaya about what's coming um, since the villagers wouldn't believe him. And we get this very tragic scene where he grabs Kaya and he tries to take her to safety, but he's confronted and shot at by Mary and the guards at the manor. And after fighting back, Kaya just winds up becoming scared of him and she slaps him in the face and Usopp is forced to run away and he takes a bullet in the arm in the process. Uh, and when he finally reunites with his crew, he accepts the reality of the situation. He cheerfully tells his crew that he was just lying again. And as they depart, they angrily tell him that he took things too far this time. So I thought this scene is super tragic because he's just trying to help her. And he is like very desperate to get her out of that situation. But across the board, no one believes him. And there, there comes a certain point where he just has to kind of accept it. You know, that like this is the bed that he's made for himself and his his reaction to it is to just, you know, be like, oh, it was all a lie, you know, like, don't worry about it. And even if it means, you know, his crew, they get they get angry with him. Um, they tell him that he took things too far. And so, um, yeah, what did you think about this scene and kind of the tragedy of it all? Yeah. Well, I think. So I think with this, Usopp, at this point, realizing that he can't save them, I think he doesn't want to cause them more distress. Yeah. So he just accepts that, and it's like, well, if I can't get them out of here, the least I can do is let them be comfortable, I guess. Yeah, and we, we get a revelation of like what his plan is, his kind of plan B after this, after his initial panic, but it's still it's kind of sad that this is where things are, you know? So that night... As Clahador meets with his pirates and prepares for them to attack in the morning, uh, Usopp speaks with the Straw Hats and realizes that it's going to fall on him to protect the village since no one will believe him. Um, he'll just have to stop the pirates himself. And his logic is that if they're not going to believe him, then he needs to just stop them before they can get to the village so everyone can just go on and have a nice, peaceful day and not have to worry about this. 
Um, so it's just going to wind up being like another one of his lies, which is it's kind of sad, but it's also it says a lot about his character that he's able to just accept that, you know, and and step up and do what he thinks is right to, to right. fix even the situation. If, yeah, like even if in the end he might not get the credit for it, I think at this yeah. point all he cares about is keeping everyone safe. Yeah, we're getting a lot of good details about his character in this, and you can see, as as silly as his character is, that Luffy is, like, picking up the crumbs, which the same thing happened with Zoro when he met Zoro, and you got to see that even though he was a scary guy, that he seemed to have this good character. I think Luffy, the same thing is happening with Usopp. You know, he's noticing these things about his character, and he's impressed by it. And this actually leads to one of my favorite scenes in this arc, um, which is kind of a One Piece staple. But after hearing this whole thing, the Straw Hats, they agree to help him because clearly he's scared. And Usopp, he gets upset by this because he thinks they're making fun of him, but they correct him very quickly. They tell him they're helping him because they think he's honorable. And there's no way they'd risk their lives just out of sympathy. Um, which leads to Usopp being very touched. And, you know, it's a very it's a very emotional scene. But I think it says a lot about all of their characters. And at the end of it, they prepare to go to battle. So what do you think about this? And about how, like, Luffy, he seems to be recruiting people who oppose pirates, um, even though he's a pirate himself. Like, I think all the members of his crew so far are people who are against the kind of pirates that Luffy is opposed to basically. Well, I think it shows about labels and growth, you know, like going through stereotypes and everything and breaking those bounds between yeah. that and then finding good, you know, within a really bad situation. Yeah, and it seems to really, this arc I think really starts to define the type of pirate that Luffy is. And I think by the end, we're going to revisit that idea because it becomes very clear um, at the end of the arc. But as Usopp prepares his plan to defend the village, um, meanwhile, Mary gives Clador his gift, the new glasses, you know, which seems very nice. But Clador, meanwhile, reveals that during a crescent moon, his blood stirs. It's a very creepy scene. <laughs> I don't know if you remember it. After he reveals his plan to uh, to Mary, he smashes the glasses and he attacks Mary, which leaves him in a pile of blood. So at this point, the ruse is dropped and Clahador takes back his actual identity, which is Kuro of the Thousand Plans. Um, and yeah, I think this whole scene, it's funny for two reasons. One is because... One of the things Oda does with his villains, he makes them really, really evil. Like, it, it's actually something I think is very effective about One Piece is he makes the villains just so bad that you just, you want to see them get their ass kicked. And this scene is a perfect example of that. Like, he is just evil. <laughs> he is really shitty. And there's a whole scene where he, he reveals that he has these long claws, like, like comically long, and there's that part where he's like standing over Kaya in her bed with like the blood on his claws. Yeah. And it's like, God damn, like really creepy. Yeah, I I did not expect it to go this route. I remember first mm -hmm. watching it and first of all, being shocked that 
Mary like is bleeding on the floor. Uh, yeah. I was like not expecting that. But yeah, this is very creepy and dark. Yeah. Um <clears throat> but as Kuro's pirates prepare for dawn, Usopp uh as part of his plan, he spills oil on the pass leading to the village. Um and his plan is to lead them into this choke point and fire on them as they attempt to climb the pass. Uh, which I do think is interesting because it shows the nature of his character as a sharpshooter is that he seems to be, um, rather than, you know, fighting people directly, he's not as strong as like Luffy and Zoro. He's more about coming up with these kind of plans and schemes and using whatever tools are available to him. But as they're, they're waiting, it's not long before Nami hears yelling in the distance and Usopp realizes that they're at the wrong pass. Uh, which leads to a kind of silly scene where, you know, the pirates are in the northern end of the island where the straw hat ships are docked. Um, and this leads some, them all panicking to go and, and meet with these, uh, the, the actual spot where the pirates are. Nami, of course, panics because she realizes that their treasure is left on their ships and she grabs Zoro and drags him down <laughs> into the oil as she heads off that way. And uh, the rest of them run off with uh, Usopp just telling them, head north. Um, so I thought that was funny because Luffy, we, we get to see kind of a montage of each of them as Luffy is just heading in a coldish direction since he's told to go north. <laughs> uh, Zoro is stuck in the oil and Usopp, he winds up getting there before everyone else. And is just kind of like, what the hell? Because they were way faster than him when they were running off. He's like, why couldn't they get there before me? Because um, they're a wreck. They're just yeah. like, it's so funny oh, to me, though, that Nami is just always concerned with her treasure. Yeah. I just, it's funny. Girls be shopping. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, she do she do be shopping on the show. That's true. She, some of those fits, man. She they're has pretty some nice. fire fits. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, there is definitely a chaos to the Straw Hats. That is pretty funny. Um, but Usopp, since he gets there first, he makes a brave stand shooting at the pirates as they advance. Um, but then, yeah, he freaks out that he's the first one there, and it's kind of just him versus this whole pirate crew. Um, but he he tries his, his strategy of telling them that he has 100 million men standing by uh, ready to fight them but of course they just realize it's a very obvious lie um, and so his next step is to try to bribe them with the treasure that's on the straw hat ship but the pirates just say well they're just going to take it anyway Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. but I did think it's worth discussing <clears throat> Kuro's pirates because we've talked before about how a lot of these pirate crews have like a kind of theme and the theme here is just cats like, all, all the pirates just have, like, little cat ears, and <laughs> it's just like, okay, I guess that's a, that's a direction to take. Uh, maybe if we had a pirate crew, we would just have the cat pirates, you think? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously, Ares would be the leader. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd be the captain. Um, but finally, Django, he prepares to hypnotize Usopp, but this is when Nami shows up, and she immediately hits him over the head for trying to offer the treasure to the pirates. And this actually saves Usopp from being hypnotized. And uh, 
Well, another funny thing is she she's the one who's able to recognize that Django's a hypnotist because Nami seems to be very quick, you know, thinking on her feet. Um, but after that is another funny scene where both Nami and Usopp, they fight over who should fight the pirates based on, like, who's more scared. <laughs> you know, I thought that was a funny scene that isn't Nami. I think she's like, look, I have tears in my eyes. I know. That's Usopp. I'm so scared I am literally about to cry. Like, I don't it's really funny how they're, like, trying to convince who's more scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a, it's a good glimpse at the two characters. They're definitely very different from Luffy and Zoro, who are on the other end of the spectrum, where they're just ready to fight anybody, you know. But Usopp does reveal that he has caltrops, and he spreads them on the pass to slow the pirates down, which goes back to what you we were saying about how he seems to be more about preparation and using different tools and stuff. And uh, this actually, it works. It allows him to fire on them as they advance, but... When they try to fall back, Nami realizes that they also drop caltrops behind them, so they are completely trapped. And I think that's Nami's fault, too, that <laughs> Usopp just gets more angry at her for doing that. Um, but the pirates, they're able to close in, and they hit Usopp in the head and knock Nami backwards as she tries to save him. Um, but just as it seems like the pirates are about to get past them, that's when Zoro and Luffy show up and basically just send all of them flying back down the beach. What did you think about... Because um, in the scene, I think Usopp, even when he gets hit in the head, there's that part where as they're going by, he like reaches out and grabs the foot of one of the pirates because he's just so desperate to stop them. I think that it's interesting that as cowardly as he is... Um, you can see there's definitely still, he's a very brave person who really cares about protecting people. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious at this point. Like, he's relentless. Like, he's going to do whatever he's got to do, if not to protect <clears throat> Kaya, mostly the rest of the mm -hmm. village, too, which I think is very admirable. It's good, because if he was just full-on cowardly all the time, I think that would get kind of exhausting. But mm -hmm. I think he makes a point that deep down, he he does have, like, this brave soul underneath it all. And he wants to be a hero. You know, he just knows that he's not as like physically strong as uh, these other people. Well, I think up until this point, he's kind of had to figure it all out himself. Yeah. It doesn't, from what we've learned, I don't think it seems like his dad had that much of an impact on him tools wise, like showing yeah. him how to live life properly as a pirate. And obviously he's not really going to learn it from his mom. Yeah. His mom probably doesn't know much about it. Um, but I don't know. I find that interesting that he's yeah. just trying to advance with the tools he has. Brains over brawn. Yes. That's definitely what his character's about. Um, but after seeming like the pirates don't stand a chance against Luffy and Zoro, uh, Django, he hypnotizes them to suddenly make them recover and become much stronger. So they charge up the hill and we get this realization as Luffy's standing there that he was also hypnotized. So even though they... <laughs> that is just not even surprising at this point. <laughs> it's, it is very funny how susceptible that Luffy is to this hypnosis. Um, but in this case, it means that he turns into this like monster who uses the gum-gum gatling technique to just knock the entire group right back down the hill. And in this hypnotized state... He runs right past them <laughs> and grabs the front of the ship and he rips it off and is getting ready to swat them all as they're like terrified. 
but he's finally stopped when Django just hypnotized him to sleep because, of course, he's just completely susceptible to it. Yeah, I, I think I like this so much, like this scene in particular, because it's so goofy, mm-hmm. but you can also see just how strong he is without even trying. Like, it's yeah. crazy. It definitely backfired on them. Um, but meanwhile, back at the manor, we get another pretty frightening scene as Kaya is having these horrible nightmares about Usopp after their last encounter. But when she wakes up, she finds Mary is injured but alive, and he is able to reveal that Usopp was actually telling the truth. So she realizes that she can't run away from this, and she decides to leave to try and stop Kuro and winds up getting followed by Usopp's crew, who also realized that something was off about that whole thing, and they're trying to investigate to see, like, what is actually going on. And they think that, you know, he might actually be in trouble. And they wind up following Kaya as she heads back down to the beach. And back on the beach, Django, he summons the Meowban brothers, Butchie and Siam, Siam, off of the ship. Um, they... It seems like since the, the, the regular crew is kind of out of action, it's like time to step it up a notch. And this was funny because Siam, it's Siam, it's Siam right? It's like Siamese. I, I assume. Sense. I'm not sure. We'll say Siam. And Siam, who's like the smaller one, he acts all scared and reluctant to fight, which lets him uh, get close to Zoro. And but then he all of a sudden reveals like it was all a trick and he he's able to attack Zoro and steal two of his swords. And at this point, Zoro he attempts to fight back, but he's tricked again when Siam contorts his body, you know, like a cat, <laughs> and just completely <laughs> avoids the blow. Which is, yeah, going into that whole theme of, you know, they're cat pirates. It's like I could see him sitting in an office like, all right, what do cats do? <laughs> Well, I love also that this is the crew's secret weapon, is these guys, which is just funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we get a lot of, like, little cat puns, because after that happens, uh, Butchie, the bigger one, he flies in the air and tries to drop onto him, which Zora rolls out of the way of. But we get these uh, different cat moves, like when he steals Zora's sword, that's called a cat burglar (laughs) technique. And when Butchie tries to fall from the sky, that's called catastrophe yeah it's like okay (laughs) obvious but it's it's pretty funny just in case you didn't know they are cats (laughs) yes they be cats (laughs) but um but as the meow band brothers attacks or together he actually has trouble holding them off with just one sword and this is another interesting scene because from the top of the hill Usopp, he tries to help with the slingshot, but Zoro just puts his body in the way and takes the attack instead, which allows the brothers to slash him. And this was what I what I thought's interesting here is that Zoro, he did that because he's trying to protect Usopp and Nami. He knows that they wouldn't be able to handle these two. And if they shot him with the slingshot, then they would immediately turn and attack them. So Zoro is basically like, no, you guys need to stay out of it. Let me handle it. It just becomes clear that Nami and Usopp, they're only going to get in the way of this. So Nami, she goes down to get Zora's swords back, and she gets stopped by Django. And this is the reveal that that ring he uses for his hypnosis is, like, sharp, and he's able to throw it at people. And this is the moment when Kuro finally arrives, because he's wondering what's taking everyone so long. 
So when Kuro shows up, uh, the the Meow Brand brothers actually decide to challenge Kuro because they believe that he's had this easy life for three years while they've been fighting for their lives at sea. But when they attack, Kuro, he just dodges them easily and gets behind them thanks to his pussyfoot maneuver. The pussyfoot maneuver. Yeah, this is <laughs> insane to me. This yeah. is so insane. I, yeah. I mean, it's just funny that he's like such a dangerous character, and like all of his abilities are like everyone's like all terrified, saying, "Oh my god, it's the pussyfoot maneuver." I would really love to know the intention behind that. Like, did he want it to be so ridiculously silly? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, and just every time I I see it and the subtitles pop up, it just makes me laugh. It is. It is very yeah. legitimately funny. Um, but this is also when he reveals that that whole habit of pushing his glasses up is because of the claws, his signature weapons. Right, yeah, now that makes complete sense. Yeah. When he, well, I mean, it makes sense enough. <laughs> yeah, it makes one piece sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but he spares the Meowban brothers but tells his pirates that he will only give them five minutes to defeat the Straw Hats before killing all of them himself. Um, and in the confusion, Nami, she's able to get Zoro his swords back, and he uses them to defeat both Meowban brothers in a single attack, Tiger Trap. Uh, and this, this one's interesting because he mentions that, you know, there's a difference between just using three swords and using the three sword style, which is his whole signature thing. And I think the power difference between, you know, when he has one sword and he's barely holding him back, but once he has all three, it's like he just defeats him in one attack. Um, I think that's a pretty important note about his character. And after that, Nami, she runs over to Luffy to wake him up. And he is woken up just in time to catch the hypnosis ring in his teeth that he threw at Nami. Which this, this part's kind of funny because in anime, he just catches in his teeth and breaks it. But in the manga, he stands up and just catches it in the back of his head, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, a little more violent. I guess that's why they changed it. That's in, wait, so in the manga, it hits him in the back of the head. Oh, it literally just goes into the back of his head and he has to pull it out. (laughs) I I think it's funny him catching it with his teeth though. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a good change. It's It's that and it's smooth and he saved Nami. Sure. So I think it all ties together. Uh. But yeah, Nami makes it very clear right now that it's up to Luffy to save the day for the treasure. <laughs> gotta gotta stay true to herself. But at this moment, this is when Kaya finally arrives and she's ready to sacrifice herself and her family's fortune just in order to save everyone else. Um, but Kuro being, you know, this horrible bad guy in the One Piece universe, he reveals that he'd still rather kill everyone for peace of mind. And he tells Kaya that even after everything they'd been through together, he just simply endured her for the past three years in order to see his plan through. And Usopp, he is absolutely enraged by this cruelty, but Kuro tells him that he owes him for hitting him in the face earlier and is only stopped from killing Usopp by Luffy's gum-gum punch from the bottom of the pass. Um, So again, we already mentioned that... uh, when when Oda wants you to hate a bad guy, you're going to hate him. This is like a very, very cruel scene, you know, saying that 
he was around her for these past three years where she was nothing but kind to him and he just doesn't care at all. It was very cruel. But I did also think it's interesting that just knowing that like if Luffy and his crew weren't there, you can imagine like how differently this would go. Oh yeah, it's sad to think about that. Like if they yeah. weren't there, because it obviously would everybody be dead. Yeah, <laughs> it's sad. But I think it is. It's one of the things I like about the early parts of the series because at this point, nobody knows who the Straw Hats are. Nobody knows who Luffy is. So even now, they're just they just think of them as these nobodies, you know. But Luffy and them, they're still making a name for themselves, and they make it very clear that. You know, them being here is going to drastically change, you know, the course of history. Yeah, I think this take on pirates is so incredible to me because they always act out of love, like every time. They act out of love and kindness. And I think even, I don't want to get political or, you know, meta, but like, yeah, it's just like it seeing something so kind and makes such a big change is so inspiring when there's so much violence and yeah it's so selfless you know, yeah at this point Usopp's crew of vegetable children shows up and they a- attack <laughs> children am i wrong <laughs> you're not uh, wrong it's just yeah. funny <laughs> but they show up and they attack kuro while he's on the ground uh refusing to run now that they know the truth um, they also call him a butler, which I think is funny. <laughs> I thought that was they funny, too. But as in B-U-T-T, <laughs> that's, pre- that's a pretty good burn. It is a good burn. Um, From but, the vegetable children. Yeah. <laughs> but this begins the final confrontation of this arc. Which is uh, Usopp tasking his crew with protecting Kaya so they can become men who protect what's important to us, which is very telling of his character and his ideals. Um, so they run off into the woods with Django in pursuit. But meanwhile, Zoro squares off with Butchie, who was powered up by Django's hypnosis even after he was cut down. And Luffy is obviously going to have to take on Kuro. But Zoro, he actually makes really quick work of, of Butchie even after all this. After Butchie, you know, he... He jumps in the air and he uses his catastrophe technique and destroys the landscape. But Zoro, he takes him out in one attack and has this badass thing where he throws his sword in the air and sheets them like a boss, you know, as they come down. Not much of a threat there. But after this, Usopp, he has a moment with Kuro where he tells him that he'll do whatever it takes to save the village. Uh, and Kuro and his crew, they just laugh at this at his weakness since he can't even stand at this point. And... As can be expected, Luffy, he intervenes and throws a boulder at the pirates because he's enraged that they laugh at Usopp during such a dire moment. And as Zoro carries Usopp away to save Kaya, since he'd only get lost on his own, uh, Luffy is finally left to fight Kuro one-on-one, captain versus captain. Um, Which this is kind of how a lot of these things end up, you know, is the captains have to fight it off one-on-one at the end and uh it comes down to a a difference in ideals really because kuro he doesn't understand why luffy is fighting you know why he's putting his life on the line for these nobodies but luffy says that there is a man in the village that he doesn't want to die which shows that he's he's forming this connection with usopp even at this point but what did you think about all that because i think uh 
when that's what it comes down to, that it's not just about good versus bad. It's completely about like a difference in ideals and difference in lifestyles, you know, at the end of the day, because they couldn't be any different from a character perspective. Well, I think obviously this is this has made me fall even more in love with the story when Mm -hmm. you have a character that not only cares about his crew and what happens to his crew, but just the people around him. Yeah. But uh, Kuro does prove to be the most difficult ponies had yet um, because of his pussyfoot maneuvers. <gasps> pussyfoot maneuver! Which makes him too fast for Luffy to keep up with him. Because we know that's the fastest move you can do. It's of course. Pussyfoot maneuver. Of course. Yeah. What is faster than, <laughs> than a kitty? But as Kuro pushes his advantage in this fight, we wind up getting a flashback, which explains how he wound up here. And what we get in the flashback is that years ago, after Kuro made a name for himself, he was constantly pursued by the Navy, and he eventually became sick of it. He became sick of constantly being on the run. And so in keeping with his title of Kuro of a Thousand Plans, he devises a scheme to leave this life behind. And basically what happens is after being attacked by a Navy ship, he goes on board by himself and he wipes out the whole crew except for one man. And in the aftermath, Django hypnotizes one of their own crewmates to pretend to be Kuro while also hypnotizing the surviving Navy soldier so he'll turn in this fake Kuro to be executed and falsify his own death. So did you recognize this surviving Navy person? Um, at first, no, I don't think so. I don't. You didn't pick up on it. No, at first, no, I did not. I don't think I picked up on it my first time through either. But the second time, I kind of did a double take. It is Captain Morgan. You remember the villain from uh, Romance Dawn with the yes. jaw? Yes. So he, this is his origin story that he was left alive, has jaw broken, and is hypnotized into bringing in this fake Kuro to be executed, which gives him like all these accolades and causes him to rise through the ranks. So you basically see that he didn't get there through any of his own accomplishments. It's because of this, like this is what set it up, which I think was very smart. It's smart and very telling. Like if yeah. you, I think, I think it's going to be hard to not talk about politics with this show. Cause it, it's clearly it's, about socialism. It's like yeah, it's, it's political in nature. Yeah. Um, I, I think when you see scenes like that played out into a story, mm-hmm. it almost makes you feel seen like, okay, yes, this is happening in the world. Like yeah. people have a leg up, not because they <laughs> worked hard, but because yeah. someone else like did something in a favor sort well, of way. Especially or, because Captain Morgan, remember, he's constantly talking about how great he is and everyone needs to worship him and revere him and everything. And Yeah, it kind of sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, <I'm> Elon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we get yeah, this this revelation that this was all kind of hands to him on a platter and he just ran with it. So I, I did think that was, uh, it's interesting, especially because it's not like shoved in your face. You kind of have to be paying attention. But back in the present, Luffy, you know, we've already discussed how he seems very quick to think on his feet. He gets around Kuro's speed by blocking one of his attacks with a giant boulder, which allows him to snap off all the claws on one of his hands. And uh, 
In another early defining moment, Luffy tells Kuro that he's disgusted, that he's tired of being chased, and tells him he's not fit to be a pirate. Um, and and Luffy straight up says that his ambition is much greater than than Kuro's, which I think this really defines, you know, like we said earlier, this is the kind of pirate that Luffy is striving to be and how his ambition is really his strength. Like his ambition is so strong that he's not going to let anything stand in his way. And this is, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting way to show them head to head because Kuro just thinks Luffy is just a nobody. And he's just kind of like, you were too weak and pathetic to achieve what you're going for. But Luffy, at the other hand, is like, you're the one who said you are tired of being chased and you don't care about your crew. So it's like, what kind of ambition is that, you know? So I thought that was uh, very interesting. But what makes it even worse, yeah, is Kuro, he reveals that his plan always involved killing his own crew just to tie up loose ends. And this just makes Luffy even more enraged. And he tells Kuro that he'll never be better than Usopp, which, again, I think is telling of what what Luffy regards as actually being strength, you know, what he looks up to, what he values, which is very different. Um, it goes back to what you're saying about this being not just a battle between two people physically, but it's a battle of like wills and determination and ambitions. And it's pretty easy to see that Luffy kind of comes out on top here, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, and it's at this moment that Luffy, he finally sees through the, the pussyfoot maneuver <laughs> by just blindly striking a Kuro when Kuro goes behind him because he just anticipates that that's what he's trying to do. And this is when Kuro finally reveals his most powerful attack, the out-the-back attack. There's no reason to use the out-of-the-back attack! You said that that was a mistranslation, right? It's supposed to be yeah, out-the-bag, right? Was, like cat yeah, out-of-the-bag. Exactly. In the manga, right. it's called the out-of-the-bag, like cat out-of-the-bag. And at least in the version we watched on Netflix, they translate it as the out-the-back maneuver. Which yeah, I'd makes be curious. No sense. Yeah, I'm curious to look into what the Japanese words for bag and back are. Maybe yeah. they are as similar well, in tone as the English words. I guess, but like in the manga, they already translated it as out of the bag, so they they already had that to go off of. So it is. It's a weird choice that I don't really understand, but okay. Um, but the way that this uh, this out the back attack works is that he basically sways back and forth and then seemingly disappears before suddenly striking everything around him um, seemingly at random and it seems that yeah when he uses this attack he moves so fast that he has no control over who he targets so he winds up slashing his own crew members and the environment and everything repeatedly it's like what a shitty technique yeah. like it's I, I I'm not like commenting on the writing more so the character, oh, yeah. but like if you had a power like that and it had the potential to hurt other people, you obviously don't use it. Well, he like, just he seems to be very selfish. Oh well, yeah. Doesn't really have any regard for anyone other than himself, which just winds up further enraging Luffy. So Luffy, he just winds up standing and waiting before he gets the. Slash that he can reflexively just reach out and catch Kuro and slams him into the ground. Um, and in their final exchange, Luffy says that he'll never be a man like Kuro, which uh, Kuro responds by telling him that he can't be a man like Kuro, but Luffy is just not impressed or scared by this at all. 
Yeah, it seems like a comment that could go over, over somebody's head that just obviously has no care for other people. Yeah, exactly. Um, but meanwhile, while this all, is all happening, Django is pursuing Kaya and the children. And Kaya, she, you know, being this very sweet character she is, she tries to turn herself in to save everyone. But the children, they refuse to let her, and so they take on Django themselves. Um, and after faking a surrender, they ambush him, and they get some good hits in before Django is able to stop them. But at this moment, in desperation, Kaya saves the children by threatening to kill herself, which makes Django finally agree to spare them as long as she writes the will and gives up her life. And as he prepares to kill her after she signs the will, this is when Zoro finally charges in and it's a pretty cool scene where he he realizes he's not going to reach him in time so he just cuts down this random branch and it's revealed that that branch was blocking Usopp from getting a clean shot so he takes Django down with an exploding star which is just like I don't know a little ball that explodes when it hits him in the face no but the teamwork here is like really cool yeah yeah it's cool and it's kind of tragic that Kaya was completely willing to, to sacrifice herself. It's tragic, but it's also just beautiful. It speaks to why Usopp loves her so much. Yeah, definitely. So, in the closing moments of Luffy's battle with Kuro, um, he grabs on the Kuro to stop him from using the out-of-the-bag attack, <laughs> and he takes him down with a mighty headbutt, the gum-gum bell. Um, and another funny detail here is that while this is happening, the the enemy pirates are like cheering Luffy on because they realize like they're just gonna get killed by Kuro, and Luffy just gets mad because he's like, "What are you doing? <laughs> like you shouldn't be cheering for me." So that was pretty funny. But in the aftermath, after Kuro is knocked out, the pirates ask Luffy for his name, and he introduces himself as Monkey D. Luffy, which begins his legend, and he states that. He'd never, lose to, he'd never lose to a pirate who ditches his name and runs from the sea. Um, and this is kind of, this is the humble beginnings. This is the start of his infamy, you know, because we're still at a point where nobody really knows Luffy or the Straw Hats. And this is that first moment where, you know, he's kind of proving himself and revealing himself to others. And you can see where the, the legend would begin. And we have another great character moment bef between Luffy and Nami because she asks him why he was so angry during his fight with Kuro. And Luffy responds that that's just not how friends should act, which shows like that is how Luffy thinks of his crew is that they are they are his friends. They're his right. family. They're on not God. just right on God. <laughs> like they're not just, you know, these disposable tools for him to reach his own goal. He doesn't see them as like you know, just stepping stones to becoming King of the Pirates. Like, they are his friends. And this is also interesting because Nami, you know, this whole time, she's made it clear how much she hates pirates. And she's she's also said up till now that, like, she's not joining them. She's just kind of teaming up with them. But you get these little moments where you can tell she's, she's impressed by what she's seeing. Like, Luffy is very much a, like, show-don't-tell kind of person. And she tells him that, you know, most of the pirates are more, most most pirates are more like Kuro. They're not like Luffy. Like, Luffy isn't a normal pirate. But another thing that I think is really interesting here that, that they kind of set home is that uh, 
Luffy, like when he fights people, he doesn't kill people. Like his whole thing is that he shatters their beliefs by defeating them. And they make it clear that these type of figures who are trying to make a name for themselves and become, you know, pirate kings and everything, like they care more about their beliefs than their lives. So when Luffy is smashing their beliefs, like that is like the ultimate defeat. You know, it doesn't even matter that they're still alive because it's like they're just going to be a shell of themselves <laughs> after that, you know? Yeah, I just, I really love all the interactions between him and Kuro and how it really just draws this fine line in the sand between him and the types of pirates that he's opposing. And just really standing firm in his uh, his convictions and just, he's just so unshakable, you know? I just like listening to you talk okay. about it. Yeah, you're kind of just sitting back but <laughs> nodding. It's like, okay. I'm just enjoying it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, in the aftermath, Usopp, he makes his crew promise to keep everything a secret because he wants the villagers to just continue to feel safe and live their lives. And he also thanks Luffy and Zora for their help, but they tell him that if he hadn't done anything, they wouldn't have either. You know, like... They show they're not the kind of people, they are still pirates, which is, again, something that's interesting about the characters in the series is that they're good guys, they're fighting for these good reasons, but they're still pirates. You know, they're not superheroes. So in this case, they make it clear they're not going to just step up and save everybody out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it because Usopp shows that he he cares so much about this village and the people in it that he's willing to put his life on the line, even though... He's weak, he's scared, you know, he's very fallible. He's not like this superhuman monster like Luffy and Zoro are. And they recognize that, you know, and that's that's the thing that spurs them to step up and help him out. You know, it, it goes back to that scene before where he thought they were looking down on him and, and, you know, laughing at him. But they're like, no, like we respect you for taking a stand, so we're going to help you. And that happened last arc, too, in Orchtown with the mayor, you know, when he marched off to fight Buggy by himself. And they were like, all right, let's go. We're going to help him out, you know. But after that, Usopp, he disbands the Usopp pirates after reminiscing about their past adventures. And he inspires them to pursue their own ambitions, um, claiming that the pirate flag is calling and it's time for him to head out to sea. Uh, and as thanks for saving everyone... Kaya and Mary give the Straw Hats something to help them pursue their dreams on the Grand Line, a big ship called a caravel that's full of supplies. And Usopp also reveals to everyone that he's heading out to sea too before Luffy stops him and just tells them to get on board because they're friends now. And Usopp, of course, he can't hide his excitement as the Straw Hats celebrate their new crew member and head out to sea, even though Usopp... Is kind of like, okay, I can be the captain there, right? And you're like, no, I'm the captain, which is kind of like an ongoing thing yeah. after this. I'm really a pirate captain now! Don't be stupid, Usopp! I'm the captain! What did you think about all this and, you know, the final resolution, bringing Usopp on the crew? What do you think about him as a new crew member? Well, I mean... When they invited him on, I felt like oh, they're obviously going to invite him on. Even oh, when they did, it made me emotional. It was just yeah. like, God, that's just so sweet. He's just so sweet. Luffy, is his heart is just so big. Yeah, it goes back to what we were saying that Luffy, you know, he, he sees all his crew members as his friends. 
So it's only logical that Usopp, after all this, he's like, well, yeah, you're a friend now, so come on, get on board. You're part of the crew. So, you know, not a cooker musician, not a skincare <laughs> specialist, but they have a sharpshooter now. So, And he's very creative. Yeah, too. so they are, they are rounding things out. Um, and that's kind of what we alluded to in the beginning is now they have a sharpshooter added to their crew. So there are four people now. And they also have this uh, big ship, which is, uh, what is it called? The Going Mary. See, I have zero idea what the original name is supposed to be because the the, translations we've seen have been all over the place. That's the other one that's interesting because in the manga, it's translated to Mary Go. And in here, it's called the Going Mary. And this is one is is kind of strange because the out the back versus out the bag is very clearly like, of course, it's supposed to be out of the bag. Um, but it's, it is it is strange because the manga isn't like, it's not like it's written in stone. I mean, they also call him Zolo. I already right. mentioned that instead of Zoro. So now I have no idea if it's going Mary or Mary Go. They both sound kind of like nonsense. And they, <laughs> they are nonsense, but at the same time, I can see like Mary Go, like Mary Go Round. Sure. Going Mary still also makes no sense, but sense at the same time. So I don't know. I will say I'm used to reading Mary Go, you know, over a very long stretch. So it's kind of something to get used to calling it the going Mary. If I had to choose, I'd probably say Mary Go because that just sounds right. Yeah, I think so too. But we do get this nice final moment where uh, Mary, he tells Kaya about how when Usopp was a child, his mother became very ill after his father went out to sea. And to cheer her up, he'd run through the village shouting about pirates to make her think that Yasop had come back for them. Um, And he eventually becomes drawn to Kaya since they both had this shared experience of losing their parents. Um, and after hearing this, Kaya is inspired to become a doctor. So it's another like interesting little character moment. And meanwhile, tomato, pepper, and onion, they continue the tradition of annoying the shit out of the villagers by running through town, shouting about pirates, but no one seems to mind so much. Um, which we, we did kind of skip over a little detail that as angry as the villagers get at him running through and lying about pirates, when he doesn't do it, they're all kind of like, huh, kind of miss that. You know, they're <laughs> like, well, he hasn't run through today. Like, because usually it's kind of like, an, it's like a rooster going off. It's like, well, now it's time to go to work, you know, because Usopp ran through yelling about pirates. Um, this is a little off topic, but mm-hmm. that just reminds me of, uh, there's a subreddit, uh, Bikini Bottom Twitter or Bikini Bottom something. I can't remember, but it has to do with yeah. SpongeBob. And yeah. there's a guy or a person on there who posts every Friday, you made it through the week, sailor. And oh, it has yeah. Mr. Krabs. I don't know if it says that exactly. But he, he like, didn't post for a couple weeks. And people were like, where is he? Like, is everything okay? Like, where is that? You know, and they would say his username and everything. And he came back and he started posting again. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it reminds me of that. Yeah, people, you know, you fall into these certain routines and you get used to things, especially in a sleepy little village like this. But it is funny that his little Usopp pirates, they pick up their tradition and keep it going even after Usopp's gone, which is very sweet. Mm -hmm. A little cute moment. So there is one more episode. This one's kind of interesting because 
the timelines changed in the manga. This episode actually took place um, before Seer Village, and in the anime, it's after. So there's like minor changes because obviously Usopp wasn't there um, in the manga at this point, but it's mostly the same. Basically, the way it starts, the new four-man crews hanging out on their new ship and uh, talking about how they need a pirate flag now. So I guess there's three things they gain during this arc. Um, and there is a funny moment where Luffy attempts to draw the pirate flag and it looks like awful. <laughs> it's like a little <laughs> child sketch, you know. But Usopp, he reveals that he is a gifted artist, of course, because he seems to be like jack of many trades. He, well, first he presents a Jolly Roger that looks <laughs> suspiciously like Usopp, uh, which they're all like, no, I don't think so. Uh, but after that, he draws the iconic symbol that we'll be seeing a lot of from here on out. And I know you've said it before. Like, what do you think about that? The final Jolly Roger design. Well, I mean, I love it. I think it. Yeah. First of all, it's simple. It makes sense. You know what it is. It gets to the point, which is everything you want. Yeah. In a design, it's very recognizable. But I also really love Luffy's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just out of like. That's true. It's just charming and funny. But um, like, he had to get his idea out. Yeah. I think it would be funny that to use that like childish little design, you know, once they get to the point where they're like these feared pirates, <laughs> to see them coming up on the distance. Like, oh shit, it's the straw hats. Um, I do want to hang that flag on our flagpole. <laughs> that way, that's a good idea, actually. But after sailing for a while, they find themselves on the outskirts of a legendary treasure island that supposedly incurs God's wrath on anyone foolish enough to land there. Uh, which, of course, only makes him more excited to explore it. Um, but after landing, they quickly discover that the island is inhabited by a lot of strange hybrid creatures, which I always thought was like just such a funny little detail. It's like all these little animals that are mixtures of different animals, mm -hmm. you know? Not long after that, they get threatened by a strange voice that claims to be a protective god of the island. Um, and when this voice discovers that they're pirates... Luffy is mysteriously shot in the back, which, of course, has no effect on him. But they reveal that the voice, it's, it's attached to someone named Gaimon, who's a strange... Like Gaimon? Gaimon? Something like that? But he's a strange man that's stuck inside of a treasure box who claims he's been there for the past 20 years. And what he tells them is basically back then he was a treasure-hungry member of a pirate crew who came to the island following a treasure map. And after searching everywhere and coming up empty-handed, Gaimon, we're going to call him Gaimon. He decides to climb up a cliff face that hadn't been explored and discovers several treasure boxes at the top. Uh, but after noticing his crew sailing away, he panics and falls straight into an empty treasure box, which puts himself in the predicament that they find him in. And basically, Luffy and his crew, they offer to get the treasure for him, and Luffy slingshots himself up there, and there's this weird moment where he, like, refuses to hand the treasure over. But Gaiman, pretty quickly, he understands and he gets, like, teary-eyed and says that Luffy's a great guy because he realizes, like, this, this fear that he's had this whole time is that the treasure is empty, you know, and he's been there for nothing this whole time. And, and Luffy, he reveals this, and he, he was trying to save him from the truth. But we also get this revelation from Gaimon that, like, this is the trouble with treasure maps, is that often the treasure is long gone by the time you get there. 
And as they're wrapping up and getting ready to head back to sea, Luffy offers Gaimon a place in his crew, but Gaimon decides to stay on the island and protect the animals. So this it's like a silly little story, but the main purpose of this is to kind of give you more information about the Grand Line. We get like a a look at the world and like the map and how it all makes sense. I don't know if you like picked up on that. Yeah, I did. I mean, I think stories like this are important to show like how vast like what they're exploring is and how many obstacles are going to come into into play with. Yeah. And this I mean, this is the first time we really get the geography like laid out for us that basically there's a string of land that spans the center of the world and it's bisected by this um, shipping lane they call the Grand Line, which effectively it separates the oceans into these four quadrants, which is how we get East Blue, North Blue, West Blue, South Blue. Basically, the continents are, are called the Red Line, which creates this barrier, you know, bisecting the planet. And then the Grand Line cuts through the, the other side. They really play up the fact that the Grand Line, it's, it's very dangerous and how, you know, pirates who go to the Grand Line often they return looking like zombies after what they faced out there. And it's also mentioned, I don't remember if it's mentioned here or somewhere else, that there are a lot more people with uh, devil fruit powers in the Grand Line, which seems to be part of the danger out there. But what were your like impressions about, like what, did, what were you expecting from the Grand Line at this point in the story, if you remember? Well, I do want to... built up a lot. Yeah, well, I do want to touch on that on the island... Oh, Aries is snoring. Okay. Yeah, that's what that noise is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, what? He is cozy as hell. Okay, so when Luffy is refusing to tell Gaiman about what he found in the treasure, I found that so incredibly sweet. Like, I immediately yeah. knew what he was doing. And I just thought, because, like, at this point, if you think that Luffy would pick up treasure for someone else and keep it for himself like you maybe have missed the point yeah um but it's just i found that moment so sweet because he knows how long this man has been waiting to see that treasure and it's just yeah it's very it's a very sweet moment for him what's also funny because luffy isn't the kind of guy to like come up with complex schemes or whatever so it's basically just like I'm saying, like, okay, like, hand the treasure over, and Luffy's just like, no. <laughs> it's just like, that's it, you know? I so, mean, that's a tough situation to be yeah, in. You're but like, they all get mad at him. Yeah. They're like, what the hell, man? Like, it's his treasure, and he just doesn't really have anything else. But Gaimon, he picks up on it yeah. right away. But, what, yeah, what did you think about the, uh, the Grand Line there? Like, what were your expectations about that? I think this is where I started to realize that they're probably going to be coming up on the Grand Line maybe a little bit faster than I thought because yeah. now I'm starting to get more information about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of buildup. I think at this point, it's almost like the Grand Line is like a, a halfway point almost. In It could be in their journey. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if I have that correct, but that's where my mind is at this point so it's like okay there's a lot but it's there's still more yeah i remember it feeling very mysterious because yeah. they do a lot of building up about how dangerous it is but it's not really clear why mm -hmm. yet so it's kept very mysterious mm -hmm. you know and very foreboding which is cool yeah that brings us to the end of the seer village arc 
What were your thoughts about this arc, like, overall? Like, what were your lasting impressions? Uh, overall, it's very silly. Like, yeah. there's a lot of dark stuff that happens. But overall, it was, I, I felt like it was silly. I will say, like, I don't know if we're getting to, like, where you're telling me where I want to rank these. Oh, we're getting there. Okay, I'll get I'll get to that then. But mm-hmm. I I was already really impressed by the characters themselves but the now seeing character development starting to settle in mm-hmm. i'm even more impressed by like i said before he just ties everything back like you will know the backstory on everything and i'm totally in for it at this point and i want to know everything yeah, yeah and there are really big uh, character moments because i think this is when we start really getting a feel for uh, the type of pirate that Luffy is, what his actual ambitions look like. Because it's one thing to say that he's going to be king of the pirates. It's another when you can really see how he he looks at these other pirates who are just all about cruelty and strength, and, and he just looks down on that and thinks, like, that is just, it's paper thin. Like, there's nothing there. Like, Luffy's ambitions are so much bigger than that. And... Even though he's such a like small, unassuming character, you start getting that feel that there is like this fire inside of him that's just so much bigger than uh, these people that he's he's going up against. Yeah, I think at this point is where I was like, you can like this this guy is meant for big things. Like he's, oh, yeah. it's not just another pirate adventure. Like you can you're already starting to get behind him on everything. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting is just that. He, he's fought a few different uh, antagonists at this point, but we haven't really seen him get, like, pushed to the point where, like, I don't know about you, I never felt like he was going to lose oh, or anything. No, you know? no like, I never thought he was going to lose. And it's yeah. this, like, effortless strength that he, that he has, like, physically, yeah. but also, like, mentally. Oh, sure. But it's, but just talking physically, though, it does feel like, we just haven't seen like the limit to his strength yet. Yeah, you know at this I mean? point, I have not seen this character out of breath. Yeah, like he just fights and then eats. Yeah, and that's sleeps. That's the thing is like the the enemies he's fighting are getting stronger with each arc, and I think it's an effective way of showing just how strong Luffy is. That like as the enemies are getting stronger, Luffy is still so much so far beyond them that he's never actually in any danger. So we're kind of building up to like okay what is the limit to this like where where is he going to get to a point where he's actually being pushed um and i think that's it is an interesting way of introducing his character and showing just how strong he is and i think it makes it even more exciting you know when we do finally get to a point where he's actually in danger seeing like what that looks like but we will get there eventually so how you brought it up already how would you rank this arc because to remind you um so far this this is only the third arc but you said that orange town so far was your favorite with romance dawn being right below that where would you put seer village and all this so i don't know if i'm gonna get hate for this (laughs) but i i have to say yeah like i have to say this is probably my least favorite arc oh yeah yeah this is i and it's not because i don't like usopp or you know anything that like you know the cat pirates are funny i Mm -hmm. think i just 
Romance Dawn and Orangetown, it just like had so much excitement and I was like, I don't know, I was really into it. Uh, and it, I, I did lose a little bit, not lose interest, but lose a little bit of my focus watching it. I don't know. It slows down a little it, bit. Yeah, it does. It slows down a bit. I think, I think the first two arcs were just so crazy and I love them so much that it's hard to put them below this arc right now. I, I actually agree. I think the first time I read it, I felt like this things like really slowed down here. I think a lot of it is just because the setting is kind of bland, you know, like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, but the setting itself, it's just another Island with another like little village, you know? And I think for me, Watching it again, or watching it now after reading it, I appreciate it more because I'm able to focus in more on like the character moments, and you know, I still just I love that initial scene with Luffy and Zoro and Usopp. You know, when they reveal um, why they're going to stand with him and that they don't look down on him, and then also when Luffy and Kuro are going head to head and he's explaining his ambitions. I think those scenes stand out a lot more now. But, yeah, I think overall, it just, it does feel like a kind of lull before we get into, you know, in the high gear with some of the later arcs. Yeah, so which is fine. Yeah, it's and, not bad. And it doesn't, it, the thing was, when I first watched this, it's not like, okay, well, I'm done with this series. It was like, okay, well, let's see what happens next. Yeah, and we walk out of it with new crew member who is a very interesting character, mm-hmm. and of course their new ship with its like goat head mast it's so cool very iconic very distinguished looking so i guess that's going to be the rating so far then is orange town number one seer or romance dawn number two seer village number three yeah yeah okay we're gonna have to write this down so that we can (laughs) remember it um but i guess that's it for seer village um next time we are going to be tackling Barati, which is episodes 19 through 30 of the anime and chapters 42 through 68 of the manga. I guess there really isn't anything else to say. I mean, do you have any kind of predictions going into that? Where do you expect things to go from here? Honestly, I, I don't know because I think at this point, yeah, I, I, I do know what's happening in the next arc and that is that is clouding my judgment. Yeah, true. So I am sorry to say that I don't have, you know, a virgin explanation of what I'm hoping to see because I, I I don't I wanna mean, I don't wanna put in my personal thoughts yeah. into it. I, I mean, wanna we, keep we, it out. We do know that we're still heading for the grand line and we're still in the point where they're building out the crew and everything. So maybe we could see one of those roles get filled <laughs> in the next arc. I guess we'll find out. But, uh, but I'm very excited to watch it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to start watching again, too. But this has been Straw Hat Social Club. I'm Todd. I'm Becca. And uh, see you next time. But um, also, follow us on all our socials. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Just before <laughs> uh, we... I, I don't want to forget to do that. I true um we're straw hat social club everywhere else and you can email us at straw hat social club at gmail.com sure and send us anything you got uh as long as it's not shitty or a series because we're not starting a new series just movies 
Oh yeah, you can send us if you have any kind of recommendations for anime movies that were influential. We're doing our side piece episodes about those to kind of break things up. Um, so we de- definitely welcome submissions, even though we're still going through our own anime histories. Mm-hmm. We'll get there eventually. Just know it might take time to get to yours. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just thanks for listening. Uh, follow us everywhere. And uh, I guess. See you on the next subscribe. Arc. <laughs> yeah. Leave reviews, all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All that, too. Blah, blah, blah. But yeah. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks.